Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yes, yes, and thrice yes. Don't make me say it in French. Bong, bong, bong. Hello, welcome to the Wellbeing Lab. I'm Will Young. I've just got in from the garden. I was checking on the state of my peonies, and you'll be pleased to know they're looking fantastic. Don't get me started on my Solomon seal, because Domino's just walked over them, and I'm very upset with them. I think I've made my feelings clear with him. I digress. Today, we're going to talk about epigenetics, which is the study of how our behaviours and environment can cause changes that affect the way our genes work. Much like the environment of me being stuck under these planes in the attic. Uh, now, the reason we're looking into this is because one of you wonderful listeners suggested it. You suggest we do it, unless it's legal, then we don't. So we discuss generational trauma, and epigenetics is the scientific field that explains some of those articles we might have seen about generational trauma in the press, and the possibility, or not, of trauma passing from generation to generation genetically. It's very interesting. It's un peu compliqué, which is French for a little bit complicated. I've just been in Paris. But who better to speak to than Dr. Chloe Wong, a senior lecturer in epigenetics at King's College London. A bit of my background, I graduated with a degree in genetics and pharmacology, and I was really interested in personalised medicine. And I think then my, my interest then kind of took a step forward in a way when I heard about epigenetics. So uh, my group uh, works a lot on epigenetics in terms of the roles that epigenetics plays in, in complex disease and traits such as autism, spectrum disorders, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, uh, psychosis, but also how the environment could impact on epigenetics in behaviours in a way. I mean, this all sounds fascinating. I love talking to these people who are so clever and the fact that I love the idea that they're always mining new information and new, you know, new stuff to, to the betterment of people, I think. I just always think that's, I'm going to share that with you. I always feel very fortunate that I get to talk to these people. How would you define epigenetics then? So epigenetics, epi, essentially means on top of or above in Greek, so above genetics. And epigenetics is a biological mechanism that happens, you know, like any biochemical reactions that you have in your body. And the way that I see epigenetics is it sits between kind of the bridge between genetics and the environment. And if you really think about it, so you and I genetically are very similar, in fact. So we are about 99.9% identical, but listeners can't see, see you and I will, but we are very different from how we look. And uh, even within our own body, all of your or cells, you know, your, your brain cells, your muscle cells, genetically, they are 100% identical. But you know that there must be a reason why you have different cells. And this is because of epigenetics. So there's something that's on top of genetics, allows different cells to be made from a very, very early on uh, in, in life, in development. And then you, you have your whole body 
And what would those things be then? What would those things be that would be creating the change, you know, sitting on top of the genetics? Sort of things like environment... Yep, so there are quite advanced in research, actually, in the epigenetics field. When I started my PhD, that was in the year 2008. I finished in 2011. And I remember giving talks, and we were basically describing the field of epigenetics in its infancy. So we are now 2023, so I would say probably, we're probably still toddlers. <laughs> and in, in, you know, in the last 12 years or so, what we've learned, actually, we've learned a lot with, you know, with a lot of research, careful plan research, but technological advancement is that we know that external factors such as stress, diet, exercise could change your epigenome. And this process is dynamic, and that's, that's the beauty of it. That's the whole idea. It's, it's a very dynamic mechanism that, you know, sits on top of your genetics, which is really static, allows you to re- be responsive to things, to, to modify your actions, and then uh, for, for better or for worse. And uh, who first came up with the notion of epigenetics, particularly in relation, I guess, to sort of mental health and anxiety, things like that? That's a very interesting question, Will. So the, the term of epigenetic, uh, it was, I think, the epigenetic landscape is first coined by a, a guy called Conrad Waddington in 1942, so still quite recent, actually, and to describe, you know, how the environment and gene could, could play together to have different behaviour and traits. And in terms of the relations with, I guess, psychology and psychiatry, it really, it, all the studies started with, uh, with animal models, so in rat study, in mouse studies, where they started to, to think, if we related to stress, it's when, uh, when the animal researchers, when they observe a group of rats, what they find is that some anxious rats' mums will then raise very anxious pups, so babies. They thought it's genetic, but what they what they find is if they actually you know a bit of adop- like an adoption study they swap the pups so a very anxious rex mum and then uh, given a very relaxed pup from a relaxed mum then that relaxed rex then became very anxious as an adult and then they thought aha there must be a reason why there's a change in in behavior maybe it's more than genetics and environment so biochemically maybe there's a reason behind it, and then kind of track, and then they did see there is uh, underlying epigenetic change because of the experience that this, this baby rat had that lead them to, to become an, an anxious adult rat because of an anxious parent. So what I'm hearing and what's coming up for me is sort of, I guess, the idea of nature and nurture, mm-hmm. because nature, we have genetics that are set genetics, they're there, mm-hmm. and then nurture will then be the thing that on top of that will mould us and lead us into who perhaps we are. Exactly. Would that and be right? Yeah, that's right. And I guess for me, what really interests me is the way to really understand how nature and nurture works. Uh, from my early work, I undertook a lot of studies using kind of a genetically identical twin model because genetically they're identical but they might have different experience. And I've done a few studies where one genetically identical twin will, you will have exposed to very severe adolescent victimization, whilst the others didn't. And then because we were very fortunate to be able to draw on samples where the twins were kind of studied from very early on in age, from kind of from age five to 18, then we can, we can really tap into this it within person development, 
and see whether any epigenetic changes that we see is really a result of the exposure to this adolescent victimization in, in that one twin compared to the other twin. And we did see some quite interesting differences. Well, I mean, I've experienced that. I'm a twin and my, mm. my brother had very different experiences to me. So, oh, uh, and, you know, was a different person. And so, because I, I, I hear that epigenetics perhaps can be seen as a controversial, might seem too strong a word, mm. um, but maybe misunderstood topic. And to me, what I'm hearing is quite sort of obvious sort of psychological development. So what's the part of it mm -hmm. where people get themselves in a twist about it? In a bit of a muddle. Uh, yeah. So I think from when I speak to the public or to, to some you know, undergraduate, postgraduate students, I think there might be some headlines where it will say, you know, the experience that you have will be passed on to your grandchildren. So maybe you know, traumatic events that you experience in life will, will get passed on to your kids, to your grandkids. And it is quite scary. I'm, I'm a mum to two kids myself. And you always think, you know, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the wrong thing in, in different ways? But I guess for me, it's very important to, to put it out there is that biology is a very interesting thing. So for the epigenetic, you know, the tags that I told you about on top of genetics that are put on there by different experience, they are dynamic, they're reversible, but when you, you know, at the first, first bit of life, you know, when an egg gets fertilised by a sperm, there is actually an epigenetic reprogram button that will reset everything, which makes sense because otherwise you can imagine all the, all the burden potentially that will get passed down to this new baby. How could, did you work that out? I didn't. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I didn't work no, that out. How did, they, how did they work it out? But that, yes, because yes. I guess... Yeah, so let's so let's dive in on that. So as soon as the egg is fertilized mm -hmm. and the beginnings of a new life mm -hmm. happens, it's a reset. So mm -hmm. anything that might have happened in the mother, it's predominantly an animal word, the, mm -hmm. the mother that's carrying the, the egg or, you know, the baby, whatever experience they have gone through, it's not going to be passed on through their system on a cellular level that's not coming through on a biological cellular physical level that's right i think you've, you've explained it very well and they worked it out managed the managed to work out is i think they use animal models because that is you know a model where you can really manipulate and be very clear-cut because working in in psychology and psychiatry is such a complex field itself anyway because we're exposed to different things we respond to things very differently and it's by having that reset then we, we ensure we have the very important epigenetic mark still in place where, you know, you need to have stem cells that differentiate to different, you know, different cell types of your body, over 250 of them that you need for the function of your body. But then the, the other, other marks, they will just be reset to zero more or less. But how interesting is that actually the field is so, you know, still, still growing so rapidly that we are learning really every day, every month, every year. Are people getting in a muddle because they're hearing genetics and they're thinking, oh, well, the fact that, I mean, I'm making this up, but the fact that my great grandfather went to war mm -hmm. and suffered war, are people getting in a muddle because they think people are saying, well, that's passed down on a cellular level. You haven't got any say in it. And so generational trauma is just being passed down 
because you've been born and then someone else was born and it's your great great grandfather is that what people are thinking when they see epigenetics i guess that's a very interesting point because i think maybe what we need to delve into is how we define inheritance how we define this inherited epigenetic mark it's whether you are getting a bit of the experience for, from your past generation because you're passively exposed to it in a way. It could be, you know, the example you put about your great, you know, your, your pretend great-granddad. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, the, the pretend great-granddad could have PTSD as a result because of his experience. And then that could impact on the home environment for the next generation, which then impact on the next generation, perhaps. I mean, to me, that would make sense mm-hmm. just from a psychological sociological point of view mm-hmm. of the human mind and human behavior and human action human movement but i i remember doing weirdly years ago doing some somatic body work on my own trauma mm. and i accessed my grandfather's trauma oh, i don't know why i don't know why it was my experience you know and i really experienced what he had gone through you know in his life it was very odd i don't think we ever spoke about it so I don't know if it had carried down on an energetic level. Um, mm. But how, how do people approach the term generational trauma? I mean, that's something that's quite a new thing then as well, I guess. Mm. I think it is. And I think when we approach it, we try to kind of work out where it's inherent, you know, it's one generation or if it's transgeneration. Because from our point of view, from genetics and epigenetics point of view, we see it as inheritance. It's when it gets passed through for more than two generations. So when it gets to the third generation. And there are some interesting animal works, for example, that really try to track through. Because I guess in an animal model, you can be be quite well defined on what kind of environment exposure they have. I can see that because transgenerational would be looking, I guess, for a wider example of how these things can be passed down. Whereas if it was just one generation to the next, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily that conclusive, I guess. So looking at the wider picture, is that is that why we look at transgenerational? Yes, because I think uh, the, the differentiation for me is because when we look at just one generation, we kind of, we speak about whether it might not actually be inherited. It might be something that you live within you yes. get passively exposed to, albeit being, you know, the same stressor, or it could be a response from the parents, how they behave in the home environment. That might change for the kids, and then the kids might react in a certain way because of that. So instead of having a epigenetic influence that have been passed down because it's from parents to kids, it could be uh, actual environmental changes. For the, yes. for, the, for the kids. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, it's, it's interesting because to me, when I think of, epigenetics it's allowing for another way of empathy Mm. and comprehension of human behavior and the human inner world that's very nice way to put it the the more the more geeky way perhaps from my point of view it's kind of the biochemical reaction so you know the empathy as in you know uh how we react to certain things because we know actually there are other ways about epigenetics not just from the stress point of view you know, exercise and diets could actually improve your epigenetic if you put it in a very simplistic term. And uh, having social support after a stressful life event could potentially reverse the, the mark that it left on the epigenome because of that. And uh, that's why, you know, diets, uh, there are some new emerging diet intervention try to, you know, reverse your epigenetic age. I don't know if you came across epigenetic age before. It's kind of working out what is your epigenetic age uh, because we know that if you have accelerated epigenetic age compared to your your birth age, then you might be at a higher risk for certain types of disease or you might die sooner. But if you can decelerate that, then there might be improvement. So I heard you say your epigenetic age as opposed, I think you said, to your birth age. So, Mm -hmm. So how does that work out and how would you define that? That's fascinating. I know, it's quite interesting. So epigenetic age is a group of methylation mark. You know, we talk about the the, chemi- about the biochemical mark of epigenetics, so DNA methylation. Uh, there are some research in the past 10 years that really try to work out if there's a way that we can measure the methylation mark, your epigenetic age, that's similar to your chronological age. And we now have very good estimate to work that out. So if you give me a bit of your DNA, I can say, you know, Will, you are, how old are you? 44. You're 44. So your epigenetic age, I can, you know, get that DNA. I can work out in the lab, do some epigenetic experiments, and then work out your epigenetic age to be 36. So then you have deceleration of epigenetic age compared to your chronological age, so your birth yes. age. For most people, your epigenetic age should be highly correlated with your chronological age. So they should be quite well matched. But what we have seen so far is people, you know, that smokes a lot, that, you know, drinks a lot, maybe night shifts workers or people under very high stress work, they are epigenetic age older than how they are on the yes. birth certificate. It'd be amazing if everyone could have a test to sort of check that. Yes, it would it? be, wouldn't it? And I guess then the next question being a scientist is then, then what do we do about it? <laughs> And I think there are actually some quite interesting and exciting randomised clinical trials currently just started to to see if there are any kind of diet or lifestyle intervention that one could do to reverse or to slow down epigenetic age acceleration. Which a lot of this stuff, I guess, we sort of know from different areas, don't we? Like, I mean, I smoke. I know that smoking is not good for you. I know that more exercise is good for me if I'm doing the right kind of exercise. A lot of these things, I guess, have sort of filtered down through to us over the last 50 years, sleeping well, Mm -hmm. you know, all those kind of things. 
but it's really fascinating to hear it within your field. Are there any sort of particularly sort of famous examples of epigenetics generational trauma that people might have heard of? Mm. So whilst we're talking about diets and nutrition, uh, there's actually quite a, a famous study that, that spurs on the interest in this field from the Dutch winter famine that happened in World War Two. So it's in uh, one part of the Netherlands where, you know, because of the war, they, they have very restricted calorific diet every day. I think men were taking about one third of what they're supposed to and women are taking about one quarter of food that they, they need really for a prolonged period of time. And a very fantastic group of scientists, what they've, they managed to do is to track down the people that were being carried in the womb of those women whilst on a very restricted diet during that uh, Dutch famine time, 60 years later. And they look at the DNA of those individuals on the epigenetic level and compare to their siblings, of whom did not suffer famine in the womb, if you put it in that way. And they did see very interesting methylation, so epigenetic DNA methylation changes in those people that exposed to famine in the womb compared to the siblings that didn't. But what's very interesting is that the timing of exposures are very sensitive. So the window is quite small. So for, for those that are exposed to famine at a very early embryonic developmental stage, they had changes on the epigenetic profile. But if the famine happened later on, they did not have that change in the epigenetic profile. Wow. Wow, that's so specific, isn't it? That's right. And again, that makes sense to me. That would make sense if something nutritional wasn't getting in there or, you know, that would make sense. But it's really interesting to hear about the timing of it, you know, mm. early development in the womb mm. as opposed to later. Because I think for me, actually, from what I do, I look into a lot of, you know, disease and, and illnesses. But I think another very important magical thing about epigenetics is the reversible and modifiable aspects of it. I think that is something to, to keep in mind because we are in control of things that we, we do, what we experience. I might need to go to the gym after this now just so that I feel that, you know, I'm doing something about my health epigenetically. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a very important point, I think, is to, to remember that. Yeah, so you're not just looking at things that have created perhaps less beneficial things in the body, but actually the way that we can reverse that and bring in more beneficial things as well. Mm. I'm wondering, what are you really excited about focusing on? or Where do you see epigenetics, the possibilities for it in the next 20, 40 years? For me, one thing would be to be able to carry on following up the people that I've studied before, for example, the ones that have experienced, unfortunately, very severe stress during adolescence. They were 18. This is part of an ongoing twin study called Environmental Risk Twin Study, based at King's College London. And the last time we saw them, they were 18 years old, and we've managed to secure some funding, and we'll be seeing them again when they hit 30-year-old next year. And I'm very interested to see how the journey have developed and uh, also get some questionnaire data on their well-being, psychological and psychiatric development in the past 12 years. And then maybe also learn about whether any social support that they have could have changed the trajectory of things. 
and how epigenetics sits, so how it manifests under the skin through a biochemical mechanism. Yeah, that will be really interesting, won't it? Because yeah. that's going to tell you, tell you so much. Yes, definitely. And I guess the other thing that I'm very interested in is to kind of look into uh, eating disorders, because we know that diets are very important. And I'm about to start a, a study in epigenetics in eating disorders at King's College London as well with Professor Jerome Breen. So what will be looked at within that? Because I think that's a really interesting area of study and practice. Mm. So the study we've planned so far is part of a bigger study called EDGY, Eating Disorders Genetic Initiatives, that really try to understand the genetic and the environmental links to eating disorders. On the epigenetics front, we plan to collect epigenetic information on 4,000 of the EDGY UK participants. We hope that our study will allow us to see whether there are any biochemical epigenetic changes that we can detect within eating disorders. And by learning more about the potential biological markers of eating disorders, we hope that one day this will allow us to develop clinical tools that we can use for the prognosis, diagnosis or even treatment for eating disorders. That's, I mean, a very interesting field, very tricky field, actually. Mm. So, you know, I wish you real luck with that because people that can have eating disorders, I think it can be a really tricky illness. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I really applaud, I'm really excited about that actually. We need to do what you're doing with the twins and talk in 12 years time to see where, <laughs> to see where it's got to. Do you know what I mean? That would be really fascinating. To be honest, I've been so fascinated about this whole field because I just, I kind of took a gamble because it was a very new field, epigenetics. Yeah. And we really didn't quite know which way it's going to go. And it is because of the amazing effort that you know the whole scientific community has put in the participation of the people that come to research to contribute to research and the funding as well that allow us to really understand so much more than 10 years ago and yeah. i hope that we will continue to learn a lot more about epigenetics in many different ways i hope so as well it's been absolutely mm. fascinating honestly thank you so much it's just been brilliant talking to you thank you will it's my pleasure well, that was Dr. Chloe Wong. Fascinating stuff, particularly as a twin. I thought it was fascinating. There was a lot of cross-sections there. Some biochemistry, nature-nurture kind of thing. But anyway, let us know what you think as ever. Well, it's that time again. I think the 345 from the Bahamas is circling over my house. That means it's letters time. I wonder if anyone's ever messaged from a landing plane. No, you're not allowed to. You've been in touch. Hey, hey, I loved your recent episode about exercise and mental health. I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was a kid and I struggled with staying focused and motivated to exercise. I started incorporating daily walks into my routine. It's been a game changer for my mood and productivity. Well done, I'm pleased for you. Well done for getting that into your routine. Sometimes it can sound easier than it is. Hi, Will. I've struggled with negative self-talk for years. I remember one time when I was in college... I gave a presentation in front of my class. I thought it went well, but when I asked my friend how it went, he said it was terrible. Oh, gosh, it's not very nice. Pick your moments, friend. I beat myself up over it for days, but now I'm learning to be kinder to myself and to challenge those negative thoughts. Thanks for the episode on self-hatred. I find with negative talks, someone said to me once, imagine you're sitting next to a river and you're just watching things just go past. You can choose whether to pick them up or not. Thank you for messaging. 
Hi Will and the Wellbeing Lab. Amy, that's you. Have you ever done an episode about boarding school syndrome? Uh, oh, yeah, I went to a horrible boarding school. This person says, I feel it's incredibly taboo because of the assumed privilege. There are mental health influencers who address all aspects of their daily challenges like wonderful open books and yet the impact of their growing up in boarding school is either or only fleetingly mentioned or goes largely unexplored. Yes, that is true. I know that growing up in boarding school impacts my behaviour and decisions every single day. It's the biggest trauma. I've read it is a recognised cause of complex PTSD. Well, I've got complex PTSD. Hey, join the club. Uh, and it's the greatest challenge in my life. I would certainly never mention it in public. I feel a great deal of shame about my childhood, which is pretty crackers when you think about it. No, I hear you on that. It's a very interesting thing. And because people get caught up on the privilege aspect of it, uh, or just the financial aspect of it, they forget that people are just kids who quite often can undergo a lot of negative experiences. So it's a weird one. And uh, yes, I'm afraid that's just part of the thing. But um, I have got over it. I don't feel guilty about the fact that I went to an expensive school and I don't feel any sort of sense of shame about it now, but I had to do a lot of work on it. It is a tricky one, but at the end of the day, you're just a kid like anyone else. What I will say is actually have a listen to the episode on attachment because we do touch on boarding school syndrome within that. Thanks for getting in touch and thanks for bringing that up, boarding school syndrome. Maybe we will do something on that. If you want to get in touch, email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com, Twitter at The Wellbeing Lab, and Instagram and Facebook at The Wellbeing Lab Podcast. I mean, one day I might learn that off the bat so I don't have to read it, but that day uh, has not come yet. Next week, we're talking to Gerard Kite about acupuncture, five element acupuncture, because there are two types of acupuncture. By the way, Amy, do you want to know a funny story? Before we go, I say to Amy, but also you, listener, I went into a shop at the weekend. I said I'd like to buy that Nirvana T-shirt in the window, which I'm wearing, Amy, see? They said, do you want to try it on? So I said, no, no, I'll just buy it. Looking around the shop, I thought, they sell a lot of trainers. Interesting, maybe it's a sort of skatery shop. Didn't realise it was a high-end vintage shop. And they were like, that'll be £480, please. And because I have an ego and didn't want to lose face I said no problem and bought it what a dickhead anyway maybe I'll be able to sell it on in years to come for a lot more money in my head I was like I was going to pay a tenner for it so watch your ego it might land you in trouble till next week goodbye did you know the well-being lab is produced by audio af and is part of the acast creator network it's true Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 